When I was uh, 18, so as old as some of you guys, younger than probably many here, um, I was really haunted by one particular question. Um, I'd already been asking, what does it mean to live a good life? I've already been asking, like, you know, what does it mean to be a good person? Uh, my, my family tree is more like a bunch of shrubs. Like, it's just a, tr it's a, it's just a chaotic mess. Um, yeah, it's a chaotic mess. Uh, whiteboards, I need an eight-foot one to draw my family tree, and it's not that helpful. And so I was like, what does it mean to live a good life? How am I going to make sense of the world that I grew up in? What, what definition of success am I going to attach myself to? Do I want to make, like, a lot of money so I can give some away but not too much? Is that what I want to do? Do I want to be someone who has a really great group of friends or have a life full of good stories? Do I want to get married and have kids, be a good father and a good husband? Is it enough to simply live, leave the world better than I found it? Like I was asking those kinds of questions. You know, I was also asking like, do I want to date her? You know, I was asking lots of questions, like all those things, right? You guys know the questions, you're asking them too. But one question haunted me and started haunting me in my senior year of high school. And the question should be obvious if I'm preaching up front, right? But the question was, who is Jesus? And it, it bothered me. It was like a plague on my mind. It's, it's stuck in my head. And I just, I, kept, I wanted to forget about it. I wanted to not think about him, but it just haunted me. My only family member who was really following Jesus had this wretched history. But he believed Jesus offered him a forgiveness in a way that no one else in this world would dare. And I watched my only mentor die at 24 years old with hope and gratefulness at 24 because of Jesus. And I hadn't explored like every major world religion. There was nothing like social media existing at the time. Um, but, but I knew that none of the other religions, I just knew this. Nobody else was making the same claims that Christians made about Jesus. Since I hit puberty, I had been romantically interested in somebody the entire time. Um, and then I hit this moment when I realized I was never going to live up to my standards, let alone anybody else's standards. And by the grace of God, I actually realized this. I, I can't believe that I did, but I realized that I used romance as a form of comfort to distract myself from the questions which were haunting me. And so I was always, I was circling around these deep questions, but then I started dating somebody, I'd be like, I'm cool for a while. Where's my worth found? What am I really about? And if I knew that I was pursuing romance in any way, I wasn't actually going to address any of these questions which were keeping me up at night. Most of all, who is Jesus? And so I entered college swearing off, this is bonkers, this is just weird. I entered college swearing off dating and any kind of flirting for three years because I really wanted to find an answer. If Jesus is Lord over all things, if he's the son of God and the very one who made me and who I will answer to at the end of time, then I think I want to follow him with everything I've got. But if he's just some other dude spinning tales about what it means to live a good life, then I've got enough pressure and I didn't want just one other authority figure telling me I wasn't good enough. So I got a question for you, and this is really going to be helpful as I unpack the scripture, because what we're going to talk through tonight in the text is so unbelievably dense and loaded, it's going to be helpful for you to do a little bit of work on your own, okay? So I want you in your own, I actually want you to, if you got your phones out, I know I'm going to be going back and forth with scripture, and so you can stay right on that page if you want. There's also an image I'm going to be referencing in a bit, um, but maybe open your notes app. So you can take a note right now. I want you to answer this question to yourself. You don't have to tell anybody else, but I actually want you to answer this, please. Who do you say Jesus is? 
is Jesus? Just give the answer. That what, what do you think? If you're on staff, answer the question too, please. Who do you say Jesus is? Write it in, your, in a notepad or in your notes app or something. Who is he? At each moment in the history of the church, the people of God, that's the church, they will be responding to any number of questions which come up because of the cultural moment. But, but what she is doing at every time and at every place is bearing witness to who Jesus is. Tonight we are looking at one of the most soaring passages of Scripture testifying to who Jesus is. It's this poem from the early church that's loaded, and there are parallels and riffs moving back and forth throughout just five verses. If you're inclined for Bible study, some of us aren't, and if you're inclined to see like poetry and majesty in words and rhetoric, I commend to you these few verses. You could spend the rest of your life uncovering something more in this text and always find it. Who is Jesus? I want you to have a working answer. I want you to consider how you've answered it, and I want you to listen to what this scriptural text says is the answer to our question in our passage tonight. And, and just as, by, by an aside, because some of you just aren't familiar with the history of the institution of the house, um, every single time we gather on Tuesday, we're going to be preaching out of the scripture. Um, I, I'm not interested in creating a cult of personality. I'm not interested in everybody gathering here because somebody up front is cool or because of the way that we dress or because of my sneakers or lack thereof. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in you being a part of this because you know we, we, we create the best particular program or, or something else. I want you to discover real life in Jesus Christ. And we believe that the scriptures, and throughout the ages, the church has been testifying to this, bear witness to who he is in the world. So too do our lives. And hopefully throughout the rest of the week, we're bearing witness to Jesus with the way that we live together and talk about each other and think about each other and pray for each other and live together and forgive each other and things like that. But on Tuesday nights, we're also going to bear witness to who Jesus is by opening the scriptures, okay? Um, let me pray and we'll get into the text. Father, would you send your spirit that the words of my mouth and that the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts and minds here would be holy and pleasing to you our rock, and our redeemer. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Amen. Is that what you wrote down? Who is Jesus? This is how the early church talked about him. This is how they answered that question. Who is Jesus? He, we're going to unpack it. You just go right through the text there. He is the image of the invisible God. That is, friend, when you behold the glory of God and you see him with your eyes, which you're destined to do, you're going to see Jesus. You're not going to see Jesus pointing to another God as if he isn't the image of the invisible God and the fullness of God made manifest to us in the flesh. 
One day you and I, brothers and sisters, are going to stand before the throne. And do you know who you're going to see there? The one who made himself weak on our behalf. The one who washes his friend's feet. The only one among us who never had to suffer. But who does it willingly for our sake. That's who you're going to see. You'll behold God in the face of Jesus. For he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. In other words, Jesus is humanity on display. God forbid we ever say something like, I'm only human, and by that refer to something negative. Can we please stop that? Humans are the grand prize of all creation. But an enemy is on the loose, and we fight battles every day within us. We are warped, and we are bent with sin and tragedy and evil. I know that is true. I know that's true. But don't you forget the first truth about you, that you are loved, that you're beautifully and wonderfully made, that when God made the whole of creation and he capped it off with humans, he said, this is very good. Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, is the best of us. Not putting us to shame by being better than us, but showing us what is in our humanity, what's possible for humans. He's the faithful one of Israel. He shows us what's possible when we're fully alive. And he has promised to finish the work that he has begun and bring us with him. What we see in him is destined for us. He's the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Do you know he made a bunch of things that the church has been calling invisible? The heavens are full. The spiritual realm is populated and noisy. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. All things were made by, in, through, and for Jesus Christ. He doesn't just point to another God who did all that. He, it's, it's, in, by, through, and for him that all things were made. It's true of the stars and the sea. It's true of gravity and quarks. It's true of you. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and here we have the center of our poem. And when you're reading anything by a Jewish author, you should always look to the middle. And here at the middle, in the center, between the beginning and the end, right at the heart of all things visible and invisible which were created in, by, through, and for Jesus, we see everything held together by Jesus Christ, including the church. That's how everything is held together. One of my mentors, a retired neurosurgeon, was geeking out one day about the nature of the body. He does this a lot. And he was talking about how necessary tension is. Tension. T-E-N-S-I-O-N. How necessary that is for all things to be healthy in our bodies. Like tension is the only thing he was arguing that keeps us together. Like everything, Jason, is always at the risk of exploding or imploding, he would say. And he connected it to everything else. That's true about our relationships. It's true about our jobs and the various practices in our lives. And he went on and on about how necessary tension is. Well, so too, the early church acknowledged that everything 
was everywhere and always at risk of imploding or exploding, and that anything left to its own end would in fact end. But Jesus, sustaining the universe by the word of his power, holds all things together. We even taught our kids in the church in recent decades to say things like, he's got the whole world in his hands. And we, growing old in our souls, get bored, thinking we know better. Who is Jesus? He's the only one who's holding all things together in this very moment. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Not only is Jesus, see this, the firstborn of creation, but he's the firstborn of the new creation. He leads us in our humanity, and he leads us in our redeemed humanity. Friends, I like to say that Jesus is always on display. And he displays us with him. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We're wrapping up our text. And through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So just two sentences ago, with creation, now too with reconciliation, just as all things were made by Jesus, all things are redeemed by Jesus. Look at the words in this text. Just as all things were made in Jesus, all things are reconciled in Jesus. Just as all things were made through Jesus, all things are redeemed through Jesus making peace by the blood of his cross. Notice, Jesus, Jesus doesn't do this from some safe position of power. That's not how this text ends. He gets his fingers in the dirt. He humbles himself in a way which disrupts all of our comfortable beliefs if we would actually lean into them. We just say stuff that we don't actually believe. Like we're, I, I don't, I'm actually not trying to, to call, call you guys out. I, I find worship songs sometimes... Um, delightful, sometimes infuriating. In both cases, it's good for me because I start to think about what I believe. I'm sitting here singing. I'm not coming to you for blessing. And I'm like, yes, I am. Like literally, like the world seems like it's falling apart in so many corners. Lord God, would you bless us, please, with peace, with better leaders in this generation. Would you guys, God, would you please raise up leaders after your own heart from these people? We might have better examples in the world of people leading us. Would you please bless us with that, O oh Lord? I think sometimes we say things and sing things we don't actually believe. And, and listen to the kind of stuff that we actually believe, that we've been professing that God, the, the God, entrusted himself to a teenage girl. The one on high, the one in, by, through, and for which all things were made, allowed himself to be taught how to speak by a mother y'all's age. You believe that? If you're not a Christian, you're like, see, that's what I've been saying. You know, if you're sitting out here. If you're a Christian, that's what you profess. That's what your people have been saying for thousands of years. Not that God kept himself safe but that he came among us and poured out himself, taking on the nature of a servant, made himself vulnerable, even in the midst of a world where all of us are trying to keep ourselves safe. God could do what we are all attempting to do all the time with our lives. He chose vulnerability, and it cost him his life. He's redeeming all things just like he made all things through his humility and love. And just like all things were not made through your efforts and work, I don't know if you know that, friend, but you ought to. 
All things were not made through your effort and work. So too, all things are not redeemed through your effort and work. Brothers and sisters, do you feel like you are too far gone for redemption because of things you've done or not done? Haven't you heard that all things are redeemed because of Jesus and not because of you? God has placed eternity in your hearts. He hasn't placed it on your shoulders. One of my favorite places in all the world is the threshold of the door to St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's the holiest place I've ever stood. Because it's the place which speaks most soberly to the human experience, in my opinion. It's, it's Adam and Eve in the garden. There in the threshold of that door is Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the Israelites in the wilderness. It's Jesus in the desert. It's the church and her persecution. It's you and I on a Wednesday. You see, when you walk into St. Patrick's, this stunning architectural icon, speaking of the beauty that nothing around it bears witness to, you, you first have to wade through some like tourist traps, and quickly you find that the tourists in the market are dwarfed by this quiet reverence and beauty of that building. And the, and the ways in which it's been seasoned like a cast iron skillet with prayers and praise for generations. And there at the center of the church, behind the altar, with all of the creation in that place bending toward it, is the image of Christ on his cross. And in his way, he is bearing the entire rebellious cosmos upon his shoulders. And if you get close, you'll see there's nothing particularly stunning about his body other than its sheer vulnerability. He looks muscular, but it seems like it's because he hasn't had enough to eat. He's thin and drawn long upon the golden image of a cross. And it's ironic because it looks like in the image of this, and it probably looked like it to the soldiers and the, and the women standing around today because all the dudes left and gave up. I wonder if that's a sin that haunts men over and over and over again in every generation. But it must have been ironic looking up at Jesus because it sure looked like that piece of wood and its nails are holding him up. Even while everyone who has ever stood in front of that image of the cross in St. Patrick's Cathedral has proclaimed that he, in that very moment upon the cross, was sustaining even the wood and the nails and the hands of those who drove them into his body. And the truth proclaimed in that place is that you and I don't carry the weight of the world. Jesus does. Yes, you and I are invited, even commanded. If you don't know this, you got to hear this report that just came out uh, from the Barna Group out of California this last week saying that 50% of Generation Z Christians, 50% don't think make disciples of all nations applies to them. I, just, I don't know where we're being taught. I, we're not reading the Bible, I guess. I don't know. But, but So I, I don't know if you've heard this. But Christ does actually call you to follow after him, to be like him in this world, to be little Christs. That's what Christian actually means. You know that's what the word literally means? Is to be like little Christs. So wherever you are, that something of Christ and his kingdom would be present there with your roommates, at your home, at your place of work, in the classroom, at a party, on social media. That, 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 that you are the aroma of Christ, Christian. Yes, we are invited to do that. We're invited, in a sense, to carry our own crosses every single day. But, this is the point tonight, our crosses are not Jesus' cross. We do not repeat what he's already done. We do not win what he's already won. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. And that is not the kind of work that we do for one another. That is the work which was finished on the cross because of the love that God has for us in the Son. Who is Jesus? He's the one who does all that for you and me. That's the story and truth you'll hear and see proclaimed as you walk into St. Patrick's Cathedral and hopefully every faithful church for the last 2,000 years spanning the globe. But when you turn around after your sails have been full of the good news from on high, after you've been encouraged and equipped to go out into this world and to love God and love others, do you know what you're going to see at the threshold of that door before you on the way out? You're going to walk out of that glorious church and stare right into the face of Atlas. The image is on the, the, the page that you guys have for tonight. It's actually looking from the back of Atlas into St. Patrick's Cathedral. Next time I'm there, I need to take a picture from the threshold, but often they have you go through like side doors, so it's been frustrating the last couple times I've been there. Anyway, um, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see Atlas. This image of the weight of the world on the shoulders of someone who isn't God. And just like us, with every, he, he's like, every muscle of his body is straining to carry the weight of heaven and earth. And just like us, he's buckling under that weight. I said that threshold is the most sacred place I've ever stood because it's a microcosm, I think, of our entire lives. It offers us two visions of reality. The two stories by which to live, or the, the two stories by which we could choose to live. Jesus on one side, Atlas on the other. The world on the shoulders of Jesus, or the world on our own shoulders. All of this on your strength, or all of it on his. Because we all know the world needs to be upheld. We see the ways it's falling apart and we see the, the frailty and the fragility of things that exist all around. We, so too, we see the resilience all around us too. But we all have this sense. We're all frenetic with anxiety and a hurry to try to hold things together and not let things fall apart. We know that everything needs to be held together somehow. The church will tell you everything is held together by Christ Jesus. The world will tell you all of it's going to fall apart unless you carry it. You need to grow your muscles so that you can carry it. Don't let it fall. Don't break it. Mom and dad will tell you about how they let it break. And, you sh and I don't want you to do it, son or daughter. And it's crushing us. We put all of our hopes into political systems and we crush them. We put all of our hopes into our romances and we crush them. We put all of our hopes into a couple of friends and we crush them in our grades, in our image, and our reputation, and how many people tuned in and followed us or liked us. We put our hopes in security. We put our hopes in our freedom and the weight of the world sitting upon the shoulders of something not big enough for it crushes it. Interestingly, Jesus let it crush him too for our sake. Among other things, so that we know that nothing we could ever give him is too much for him. That even if we betray him and crush him and kill him, he has victory over death, rises from the grave, and loves us still. He loves you to the end. Think of the worst possible thing you could do to God. And he's already said he's going to love you first. It's utterly bonkers. But this is the threshold that we cross every single day. 
where we're stuck between Jesus on the cross and Atlas under the weight of the world and we're given a choice. Who's Jesus? Friend, he isn't someone who's just watching you carry the weight of the world, you know, giving you grades, telling you how good you're doing or how poor you're doing or making you feel guilty because you're not carrying it well enough. He isn't just telling you to do better or try this instead. He says, come to me because my burden is light. Do you know that he actually says that? That Jesus says the burden that he wants to give you is perfectly fit for you and it's light. And, and with him carrying that burden, you will have rest for your weary souls. The world tells us we can sleep when we're dead. Jesus says he has rest for our souls today. We're at the threshold, friends, and we've got a choice to make. Even this very evening, this choice between two ways of life, the world tells you to choose Atlas. Look at his muscles. Nobody wants to look like Jesus on a cross. Look at Atlas's muscles. If he keeps trying, maybe he can finally do it. Maybe you could do what Atlas can't. The church has been telling us to choose Jesus. Even better, the church has been telling us that Jesus chooses us. And we look upon him on the cross and we know that he let what we all fear, that we would let it all fall apart, that the world would come undone, that it will actually crush us. The things that we fear, we look upon him and we know that he let all of that befall him so that we don't ever have to do it. Whatever you're carrying today, the ways in which you're pretending, the things you're, the things you're faking, the, the family dynamics that, that you don't even know if they're going to, they're gonna, you don't know what you're going home to when you go home, if there is a home. The pressure that you feel to perform and achieve. The ways in which you feel like you're holding it all together inside. Whatever you're carrying, whatever the weight of the world is, Jesus isn't asking you to hold it up. He's already got it. He's asking you to trust him. It's crazy and it feels so terrifying. He's asking you to trust him that all things are actually held together by him and not you. And in that freedom, maybe you can feel the weight just come off your shoulders. Do you know that this whole thing is about trusting that what he says is a truer story than the everything the world is saying out here? It's so much kinder. It's so much more gracious. It's, it, it's, yeah, it's actually just gracious. Nothing else is gracious like that. And when you begin to follow Jesus and seeing if he's right, if he's faithful as a king, if, if you can in fact find rest, and you can, you can in fact find that his burden is lighter, when you feel that weight come off your shoulders, what then? What would it look like maybe for you to walk around in this world helping others to lighten their load? Instead of proving that you can carry more yourself. Because you and I know the whole secret. We know the secret of everything. He's got the whole world in his hands. Let's pray. Before I start singing again. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for coming among us. For living a life that most of us are so afraid of. All of us are. We run from the things Jesus walked into. He does it because of love. Would you send your spirit that each one of us here believes that you, that you know all of the contours of each one of our lives, that we don't need to, to bring it to you for you to be aware of it, that you're already aware of it, 
that you are on the throne over all things and you are holding all things together and moving all things to the redemption of all things. And what would it look like if, if this, this small group of people here began to believe that and live that way? What would happen, Lord, if you freed us from the anxiety and the scarcity mindsets that plague us all? What would it look like if we became people who began to be more relaxed in the midst of a world that's freaking out? Because we believe that you got us. I don't know how we can know that except by others living it out in our midst. So start a movement here with these people. Stir up in us hope for something that we typically don't even want to hope for because it makes us so dang vulnerable. Help us to go to bed tonight with a thought that haunts us. It's a good thought. What if it's true that you've got the whole thing in your hands? I know, Lord, that that's going to stir up new questions, I think better questions, and I pray that our community and things like core groups and, and hanging out with each other would be safe places to discuss those questions and to, and to, to discover real life in you together. Right now, send your spirit that we might respond to you um, with, with a song to, to end this night and um, receive our praise with joy. Send your spirit that we might even know ourselves and know what you have to say to us in this moment. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.